everyone, and welcome to the Legal Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hello. We are back this month with a very exciting episode for you. That's right. This episode is going to be all about ethical dilemmas, and we are lucky enough to be joined by our colleague, Brian Polinski. Brian is counsel here at CAR and our expert on the Realtor Code of Ethics. So we are going to pick his brain about some of the most common ethical questions we get from members. We have a lot to cover with Brian, so let's get right to it. So as I mentioned, we are honored today to be joined by our colleague here at CAR from legal department, Brian Polinski. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, we are really excited at this opportunity. We get so many questions on the hotline and talking to realtors about ethical dilemmas. And so um, let's just jump right into some of these frequently asked questions and, and talk about what realtors need to know when it comes to tricky ethical dilemmas. Let's so do it. The first question we have for you is what should a realtor do when they're representing both sides in a transaction, but the interests of the two clients start to deviate? from one another? That can be really tricky. Yeah, good question. Yeah, absolutely. This is a very tricky situation. And the way I see it, this is covered by Article 1 of the Code of Ethics, which requires realtors to protect and promote the interests of their clients. But in this situation where you're representing both sides, but you know one of the interests of the client deviates from the other, uh, there may be no way for you to actually meet the fiduciary duty that you have towards both clients. So in that situation, the ethical thing to do is to actually recommend that one of your clients obtain different representation. Now, obviously, I understand that you don't want to lose a client, but it just becomes untenable when the two clients have opposing interests. You simply can't fully represent their interests. Um, and so therefore, it's uh, imperative to recommend that at least one of your clients obtain different representation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tough. A tough decision to have to make, but that makes total sense. Exactly. That was great, though. Another question we get is when representing a seller, how can a realtor present an offer from a buyer represented by a cooperating agent in a fair and objective manner? This is a really good question. And the Code of Ethics actually has a standard of practice in it. And it's standard of practice 1 6 which states that realtors shall submit offers and counteroffers objectively and as quickly as possible. But uh, the challenge here is how do you actually present offers in an objective manner? And one of the things that NAR focuses on here is they don't want realtors to make comments that favor or disfavor a particular offer based on who's representing the prospective buyer. So there's actually a really good case interpretation that NAR published on this. So I, I want to go through it because I think it's a good illustration of the concept. So in, in this case interpretation, Realtor A listed uh, the seller's house. And there is a buyer, buyer B, who learned about seller S's property from Realtor A's website, called Realtor A for information, and then was shown the property by Realtor A several times. At the same time, there's a different buyer, X, who engaged the services of Realtor R as a buyer representative. So the seller's property was one of several that R introduced to buyer X. And then we go back to the first buyer, Realtor A helped buyer B prepare an offer 
called seller asked to make an appointment to present the offer that evening. That same afternoon, Realtor R called Realtor A and told him that he was bringing a purchase offer to A's office for Realtor A to uh, present to the seller. So A responded that he would present BuyerX's offer and in fact did present both offers to the seller for consideration. Now, once that was done, the seller noted that both offers were for the full price and there didn't seem to be much difference between them. And in response, the realtor says, well, I'm not telling you what to do, but I've already pre-qualified buyer B. And frankly, I don't know what, if anything, realtor R has done to pre-qualify his client. Also, things can get complicated when a buyer representative gets involved. It's almost always simpler when I sell my own listings. So based on that presentation, the seller ultimately accepted buyer B's offer, but the other realtor R eventually found out about how realtor A had presented buyer X's offer and filed an ethics complaint. And at the hearing, realtor A justified his comments, noting that he had no personal knowledge of buyer X's finances and that it was true that an overzealous buyer representative could raise obstacles that might have delayed a closing. But uh, according to NAR and what the hearing panel in this hypothetical case said, is that Realtor A did not present the multiple offers objectively when he made comments that favored buyer B's offer just because he was representing buyer B. So I think what this case interpretation really shows is that an offer coming from a buyer represented by another realtor can't be presented to the client as objectively worse when all else is equal. All right, that is really useful. I, I love that example because it can be hard for people to think of, you know, what we mean when we talk about fair and objective. And it's so useful to have a, an example like that. Exactly. Wow. All right. Well, this kind of, the talking about the interplay between two different agents leads us into our next question we have. And this is a question I've got to say, I've been getting quite a bit on the legal hotline, um, especially in this low inventory, sort of very competitive market situation we get. Um, and that is how can a realtor member ethically advertise another realtor's listing if that's something they're looking to do? Oh yeah, good question. I, I hear this one all the time as well. Yeah. And there's actually, once again, a standard of practice we have in the code of ethics. And that standard states that realtors should not advertise property without authority. So in order to advertise a property that's being listed by someone else, you need the proper authority. Now, for some types of advertising, such as advertising through an IDX compliant display on your website or a virtual office website, the rules of the MLS actually grant you that authority to advertise another agent's listings. But that authority is limited in the MLS rules. For other types of advertising, such as advertising on social media, you should always ask the listing agent's permission first. MLSs do not grant blanket permission to advertise others' listings on websites like Facebook or Twitter. So just make sure that you ask before you do it and you get written permission. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Along those same lines, is it ethical for a realtor to claim to have sold a property in their advertising? So according to NAR, on this one, after a seller's acceptance of a bona fide offer, Realtors who actually participated in the transaction can advertise the property as sold, and they would not be in violation of the requirement to present a true picture under Article 12 of the Code of Ethics. But prior to closing, a cooperating broker may post a sold sign on the property only with the consent of the listing broker. And then one additional thing to keep in mind here, if the sale falls through, 
the realtors have to immediately stop advertising the property as sold since that no longer does present a true picture to the public. Very good. That completely makes sense to me. We have another advertising related question for you. And this is a very hot topic, which is, is it ethical for a realtor to advertise any of their services as being free? So the reason this is a particularly hot topic is because NAR just recently amended the Code of Ethics and specifically Standard of Practice 12-1 in the Code of Ethics. They did this just late last year. So this is a pretty new change. And Standard of Practice 12-1 concerns the use of the term free in realtor advertising. The new standard is much more restrictive than the old version. Uh, standard of Practice 12-1 now states Realtors must not represent that their brokerage services to a client or customer are free or available at no cost to their clients, unless the realtor will receive no financial compensation from any source for those services. So one question that we've actually been hearing from a lot of our members is, okay, we understand generally what this means, but we're a little confused about what is meant by brokerage services. And so um, some attorneys at CAR actually talked to NAR about this. And we heard from NAR attorneys that a brokerage service actually refers to any service you provide that requires a real estate license. Those are what you are not allowed to advertise as free. Hmm. Now, even for other types of services, best practices would be to advertise it as included rather than using the ah. word free. Um, but technically, it's not unethical to advertise something that is not a brokerage services free. And so some examples of that might be escrow services or, or home warranty services. And there's a kind of a separate rule also for comparative market analysis. There's actually, there were some already pre-existing case interpretations that stated it's a violation to advertise free market analysis with no obligation when the realtor, if contacted by a prospect, states well, I presume you understand that when we provide the service, we also expect that if you list the property, you'll let us do it for you. Mm -hmm. But it's not a violation to advertise free market analysis with no obligation when the free analysis is not in any way contingent upon the realtor obtaining a listing or commission. So when it's truly offered for free, no further obligations, you are allowed to advertise comparative market analysis as free. Right. So they, they really have to be free services. <laughs> they have to go for that. I mean, you can't. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, changing topics just a little bit. There's a new standard of practice in the Code of Ethics that prohibits hate speech by realtors. What exactly is this rule and how is it applied? Sure. So this was a change that NAR made uh, in November of 2020. They added a new standard of practice, 10-5 to the code of ethics. And it says realtors must not use harassing speech, hate speech, epithets, or slurs based on race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity. So this new standard of practice, 10-5, also required NAR to change its policy to expand the code of ethics enforcement to cover all of a realtor's activities. And the reason that they wanted to do this is they wanted to make it clear that a realtor, even when posting, for example, on their personal social media account, is still going to be held to this standard. 
So just because you're not, so to say, wearing your realtor hat when you're making a statement, that doesn't matter anymore. NAR says, if you make a statement that can be construed as harassing speech, hate speech, epithets, or slurs based on one of these protected classes, you can be found in violation of the code of ethics. Now keep in mind to be disciplined, a realtor must still have done something to violate a specified duty in the code of ethics. And the vast majority of code of ethics duties are still only applicable to the real estate business and real estate transactions. So this change to NAR policy really at this point in time only applies to the new standard of practice. It wasn't really an overall expansion of the code of ethics just beyond this new standard. Now, another question that people have been asking is, does standard of practice 10-5 interfere with my First Amendment right to free speech? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is no, because the First Amendment provides that neither the United States Congress nor any state may abridge the freedom of speech of American citizens. But with some exceptions, the First Amendment doesn't prohibit a private organization from restricting the speech of its members, employees, or users. And of course, NAR, CAR, and your local association are all private associations supported by dues from members. They're not exercising any governmental function. They don't have the powers generally available to state agencies, such as, for example, revoking a real estate license. So the First Amendment does not preclude NARCAR and the local association from imposing this ethical duty as a condition of membership. Now, there's really a lot more that can be said about the new standard of practice. Uh, when it was passed, uh, we created a, an FAQs document on the CAR website with a lot more information about it. So if you want to uh, go to the CAR website and, and search for standard of practice 10-5, you'll be able to find more information. Well, that's Excellent. great. And I think a lot of uh, people would be interested in that, especially how it applies to their private lives, you know, when they're not acting as a realtor. I think that gets a little confusing for people. And what's interesting about this standard of practice is that it does apply in those circumstances. Yeah. They are basically said you cannot take off your your realtor hat, so to speak. You are always acting as a realtor and for as it relates to this particular yeah. And I will, I will post a link as well in the notes for this episode to that FAQ that we have on the website. Cause I agree. I think that's going to be really uh, of interest to a lot of people. So yeah. I'll make sure we, we link them to that. Excellent. All right. Well, we're going to swerve a little bit and, and change gears for our next question here, but this is a incredibly common hotline question again as well. So it's be good to get some clarity on. And that is when and how can a realtor ethically change the offer of compensation that they've made to a cooperating broker? Sure, and I'm not surprised that you get this question <laughs> off of the yeah. I also hear, hear it when I'm, when I'm training on the code of ethics or training in professional standards. Now there's actually a, a standard of practice in the code of ethics that, that covers this. It's standard of practice 3-2. And that standard says any change in compensation offered for cooperative services must be communicated to the other realtor prior to the time that realtor submits an offer to purchase or lease the property. After a realtor has submitted an offer to purchase or lease, the listing broker cannot attempt to unilaterally modify the offered compensation with respect to that transaction. Now, even though there are limits to the listing broker unilaterally modifying the compensation, in other words, just doing it on their own volition, the listing broker and the cooperating broker can always enter into an agreement 
to change cooperative compensation. So it can be negotiated, but the um, listing broker cannot change on their own the offer of cooperation after that offer has been submitted. Gotcha, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, another question that comes up quite a bit is what features of a property does a realtor need to disclose to a prospective buyer, even if they are not representing them? So this one is covered by Article 2 of the Code of Ethics. And what Article 2 states is that realtors have to disclose adverse factors about a property or transaction that are reasonably apparent to someone with expertise in those areas required by their real estate licensing authority. But what you should keep in mind is there is no obligation for realtors to have expertise in other professional or technical disciplines. So for this reason, the code of ethics makes it clear that realtors are not obligated to discover latent, and another word for that would just be hidden defects in the property. So a latent defect is defined as one which could not be discovered based on a reasonably competent visual inspection of the property by the realtor. Now, on the other hand, if a realtor has actual knowledge of a latent defect, for example, if the seller actually told the realtor about this defect, then the realtor would actually have the duty to disclose it to a prospective buyer. But what the code says is that you're not obligated to discover that defect if you are not aware of it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And that lines up really, you know, perfectly pretty much with a, you know, realtor's legal obligation or licensee's legal obligation when it comes to disclosures as well. So not just ethically, just as a reminder for our members that from a legal perspective, they have an obligation to disclose all material facts that they have knowledge of, as well as to conduct that reasonably diligent visual inspection. So you know, as you can rest assured if you're, if you're doing your AVID, doing your visual inspection, and you're also disclosing anything else you know about the property, even that you don't observe during your visual inspection, then that's going to keep you in compliance with the law and with this section of the Code of Ethics. That's right. As we say, disclose, disclose, disclose. Absolutely. All right. So the next question we have for you has to do with showing the property. And is that, can a realtor bring someone to a showing of a property if the owner or listing agent didn't give them specific permission? Sure, and for this one, my answer is going to be relatively brief because <laughs> the code of ethics, I believe, gives really good guidance here. There's, there's a right. standard of practice, 3-9 in the code, which says cooperating realtors shall not provide access to listed property on terms other than those established by the owner or the listing broker. Therefore, I would say it would be ethical to always double check with the listing broker to make sure that any people you are bringing to a showing are authorized to come by the owner. Yeah, can't, can't go wrong uh, erring on the side of caution there and, and getting that permission. Exactly, that's really important. Um, another question that we get sometimes, and that's pretty important as well, is when is it unethical for a realtor to solicit business from a prospective client? I get that quite a bit, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. This is another one that I, I get questioned on all the time when I, when I conduct trainings. And this one is covered by Article 16 of the Code of Ethics. And according to that article, realtors should not solicit a prospective client 
when that person already has an exclusive representation or exclusive brokerage relationship agreement with another realtor. That's basically the heart of Article 16. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to entering into a representation agreement with the prospect, realtors have an affirmative obligation to make reasonable efforts to determine whether the prospect is subject to a current valid exclusive agreement to provide the same type of real estate service. So you have to make these inquiries when you're trying to solicit someone. Now, another thing to keep in mind, soliciting a buyer who is working with another realtor, but doesn't actually have an exclusive agreement with them is not per se unethical, but important thing to keep in mind when you do that. If a buyer's agent has taken a sufficient number of steps to bring about the sale of a particular property, they may be legally the procuring cause of that sale. And therefore, under the procuring cause doctrine, they are actually entitled to the commission. So what this means is the agent could file an arbitration complaint against you if you convince that buyer to work with you and you end up receiving a commission. So be careful in those circumstances. Exactly. And I think a lot of um, agents do you know, run into that situation where they're working with a buyer and buyers and sellers too, at times are really not educated on how this works and, you know, procuring cause and, you know, mm -hmm. that they can't have more than one, you know, listing agent even, or yeah. they sign an agreement. They just don't understand that. So it's really important for agents to sometimes educate your clients, you know, when you take on a new client and explain to them how this works so that they have some understanding, you know, and can speak intelligently to other agents that talk to them. Yeah, that's something I've observed a lot is I, I do think a lot of a lot of consumers don't know necessarily the intricacies of, of agency and representation and things. So I, I do agree. Um, very important for agents to be on top of that. And then I have the inevitable follow up question <laughs> to that last <laughs> question, which is, well, when, if ever, is it OK for a realtor to contact a represented buyer or seller directly, you know, if the other agent is being non-responsive to them. Yeah. And of course it's frustrating, right? When the other agent is being non-responsive, but you do have to remember your ethical duty to other realtors. Um, this is also covered by article 16. There's a, there's a standard of practice here, 16-13. And it says all dealings concerning property exclusively listed or with buyers slash tenants who are subject to an exclusive agreement shall be carried on with the client's representative or broker and not with the client, except with the consent of the client's representative or broker, or except where such dealings are initiated by the client. Notice what it doesn't say there is you're not allowed to go to the client directly just because the representative isn't being responsive to you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's generally unethical for a realtor to directly contact the client of someone who's being exclusively represented by another realtor without permission. Now, that sounds frustrating, but if you're having a communication issue with a realtor, CAR and your local association may also offer this. We have a program called the Ombudsman Program. And the way that the ombudsman program works is that you can call up the hotline, get assigned a volunteer ombudsman, and that ombudsman will be willing to reach out to that other realtor to see if they can open up the lines of communication. So the ombudsman, uh, the use of the ombudsman would be particularly helpful in this situation. And uh, perhaps, uh, Jana and Dana, we can provide a little information in um, your extra materials about how to contact the ombudsman. 
Absolutely. There's a phone number. I believe there's an email address. I'll make sure to get all of that information in our show notes as well. I, I recommend that service to people all the time because they often call the hotline and are understandably frustrated. Um, so feel like they have no options. And so the ombudsman service can be a really good way to, to try to make some progress and, and actually, you know, hopefully start getting some, some response in yeah, that way. Exactly. So a final question, if you have time, Brian, is this, this comes in quite a lot. A realtor says something negative about another realtor. Is that a violation of the code of ethics? Now it could be, but we have to unpack what the code of ethics says about this more specifically. So merely saying something negative about another realtor in and of itself is not a violation of the code of ethics, but it is considered to be a violation if the realtor's negative statement is objectively false or misleading to the public. So article 15 states, realtors shall not knowingly or recklessly make false or misleading statements about other real estate professionals, their businesses, or their business practices. Now, Article 15 is easily and widely misunderstood to mean that realtors ought not to disparage other real estate agents or to criticize their business practices, but that's not exactly what the article says. The code, excuse me, um, the code doesn't prohibit criticizing the business practices of a competitor. Instead, it prohibits saying false or misleading things about them. So a realtor might criticize a competitor, and if what being is being said is true and not misleading, then it's perfectly okay as far as the code of ethics is concerned. Now, of course, it may in general be bad manners or undesirable to speak critically of other persons. And I'm sure everyone has heard the, the phrase, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And, you know, that's not a bad rule to follow, but it's, it's really short of an ethical obligation under the code of ethics. And, you know, especially if there's some third party that needs to be warned about the actual bad behavior of another realtor. Like, for example, suppose you had a friend, a relative, or a neighbor who's about to get into a questionable real estate deal with an agent who you know has a certain history and reputation, not just rumors, but like actual facts for doing things that are unethical. Now, wouldn't you have an obligation to warn them about that? And, and under the code of ethics, you can do that as long as the information you are providing is truthful. So what gets you in trouble here is saying something that is negative, but that is also false or misleading. I see. So... That, that's really uh, an important distinction, I think. And uh -huh. uh, because a lot of times you do want to warn people about you know, certain activities and so forth. And then there are those that just want to badmouth someone else. Um, yes, the, the standard that we use is false or misleading to a uh -huh. reasonable member of the public. Okay. Sounds, like a good, sounds like a good tactic would be to, you know, if, if you're going to say anything at all about another realtor, maybe stick to like objectively true pieces of information. Like you said, avoid rumors, avoid, um, you know, things that you heard from someone who heard from someone, but, you know, yes, stick yeah, to the facts right. and that's the best way to, to stay on the right side of things. Exactly. And, and you also want to think about your own business. You know, when you are saying negative things about other people, it doesn't always put you in the best light. Best yeah. not say anything at all <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually have a sort of, a, as just as a wrap up question, Brian, thank you so much for answering these questions for us today. I know we could talk for probably hours going over all of the different ethical quandaries that realtors find themselves facing. Um, what should realtors do if they find themselves in a, a tricky ethical situation? What resources are available to them? 
Yeah, thanks for asking about that, Janet. Just last year, actually, we created a new program at CAR that we're very excited about. It's called the Peer-to-Peer -peer Ethics Hotline. There is a number that you can call or an online form through which you can submit if you have a question about the code of ethics. And that question could be whether you're planning on doing something and you're asking whether that would be ethical or not. Or you can even call in and ask whether what someone else is doing and if what another realtor is doing, if that is ethical or not. And when you contact the hotline, you'll be set up with a trained uh, volunteer realtor who will be able to talk to you and give you guidance about the correct interpretation of the code of ethics. Now, of course, as you know, we also have the, the CAR legal hotline, which uh, Dana and Jana are both on as, as attorneys, but the legal hotline is not supposed to answer questions about the interpretation right. of the code of ethics. Right. So if you call them and you ask an ethics question, they'll be able to refer you to the peer-to-peer -peer ethics hotline. If your question is just ethics related, you can contact the peer-to-peer -peer hotline instead. That's right. Yeah. And that's such a great service because we get so many questions on this. And I have referred the hotline, the peer-to-peer -peer hotline, quite often to many members. Yeah. No, it's, it's a wonderful resource because like you said, people call the legal hotline and, you know, I, I feel so bad for anyone and they call and talk to the hotline. The attorney has to say, you know, we we are not trained in the, the ethics hotline um, the way that these experts on the peer-to-peer -peer, or sorry, on the code of ethics, the way these experts on the peer-to-peer -peer hotline are. So this is a wonderful resource um, to have available. And I will, of course, put the phone number and the online contact information in these show notes as well. So there'll be all kinds of resources for people to take away from today. Uh, thank yeah. you again so much, Brian. This was just so much wonderful information. It oh really yeah, absolutely. Was. Thanks. It was, it was my pleasure. And oh, I'm sure we'll you. have you back sometime because like I said, there's 8 million more questions that we could talk about as well. So I'm sure we'll bring you back in the future to oh, cover even absolutely. more. I think you'll all be right. a very, very popularly requested <laughs> guest. So <laughs> thank you great. again. All right. You're thanks, welcome. Brian. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters Podcast. Thanks again to Brian for joining us. And thanks as always to all of you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed our episodes so far. If you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings can help other folks find the show. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. And finally, don't forget about all the ways CAR member legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the legal hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2, for transactional questions. Our other informational and educational materials can be found at car.org under the risk management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, quick guides, webinars, and more. Talk to you next month. Bye.